Hello and welcome to Impact the Borough, a podcast from the Greensboro Chamber of Commerce. I'm Brent Christensen, President and CEO of the Greensboro Chamber of Commerce. Each week, a Chamber staff member will sit down with a guest to discuss what we're doing to start and grow businesses, create quality jobs, develop our workforce, and tell the inspiring story of Greensboro to the world. This podcast is brought to you by Truliant Federal Credit Union a modern, mission-driven financial institution focused on the needs of its members, the businesses it serves, and our community. With five locations in Guilford County, including a dedicated commercial lending office at Friendly Center and a highly rated mobile banking app, Truliant makes it their business to help you grow yours. Visit truliant.org for more information. Hello and welcome to Impact the Borough. My name is Nikita Green and I'm the Vice President of Leadership, Diversity and Inclusion here at the Greensboro Chamber. Today, I'm really happy to be joined by several people from the city of Greensboro to talk about some of the great things that they are doing to advance racial equity in our city. Uh, So I'll start with uh, Dr. Love Jones. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell us uh, what you do with the city of Greensboro? Sure. Again, my name is Dr. Love Jones. I am the human rights director with the city of Greensboro. Human rights is the arm of government that addresses issues of discrimination. I've been with the organization for seven years and we cover things on a spectrum that ranges from fair housing discrimination to the needs of reentry populations, supporting our volunteer bodies and meeting the needs of international populations. Awesome, thank you. And Maria? Hello, I am Maria Hicksview, and I am the Chief Equity and Inclusion Officer for the City of Greensboro. And the Office of Equity and Inclusion has uh, several hats that we wear. We actually are responsible for making sure that the policies, practices, and procedures for the City of Greensboro are diverse and equitable. We also um, make sure our affirmative action and EEO plan are filed and actually compiled on an annual basis and also the upkeep of that. And we also run several internal and external programs as well around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And this is my second go around at the city of Greensboro. So I have been back um, for about six and a half years now. Awesome. Thank you. And last but not least, David. Hey, I'm David Parrish. I am the city manager here in Greensboro, and I get the honor of working with folks like Dr. Jones and Maria and all of our city staff to deliver services and uh, make this a great place to live, work, and play. Been here about eight years. Thank you. Well, thank you all for uh, for being here to talk with us about what's going on in the city of Greensboro. As we know, this has been a year that's challenged all of us in a number of ways. It's challenged us medically, um, academically, financially, and definitely socially. And it's also opened our eyes to to the depth of racial inequity in our city and in our, you know, in our nation, really. So for a moment, as, as key leaders in the city and, and really just as residents um, in this community, what were some of your thoughts as you watched kind of the early stages of the city reckon with social justice this summer? Marie and Love are certainly more equipped than I, but, you know, as a husband and as a father and as, a, as an individual who grew up in this community, you know, it was challenging for all of us but I think that watching the way Greensboro, I believe, has kind of come through it and really seeking change uh, and the right change and the way that, and I'm not speaking about city organization, I'm talking about just the community itself, I think speaks to the heritage of Greensboro as an activist and also just as a kind of a civil rights heritage 
think in many ways we did well and we pushed for change and we are still working to, to seek the change. But I think it was a good opportunity for, again, going back to even being a father to have candid conversation with my kids that they asked good questions and we were very honest and shared personal stories with our kids and allowed them to share stories too. So it was a good opportunity. I think personally for us to see some growth as a family and hopefully as a community too. Yeah. Would anyone, uh, Maria or Love, would you like to add anything to that? I was just going to add, as as David, I too am from Greensboro and this is my hometown. So it literally broke my heart when everything started unraveling. And uh, David and Love both know um, my eight-year-old daughter and I just kind of on a flip one day, I was just driving downtown, not even thinking what was going on because it was my normal pattern. And I actually had my eight-year-old daughter with me and we were actually caught in the middle of one of the protest marches. And she was terrified because they were at the window. And I mean, what do you say to an eight-year-old, a third grader? I definitely, you know, tried to talk to her about what was going on. She actually had, you know, watched several specials. I'm that mom, um, you know, on uh, PBS and some other things about what was going on. But but it just broke my heart to have to have that conversation with my child about what was happening and explaining to her, you know, about how to interact with the police and what the police, um, you know, are about. Because she idolizes the police. Her dad is in law enforcement. So it's it was very difficult during that time, not only for um, her, but also for me, as David said, as a parent, because um, I had to do a lot of talking with her to actually help her. And I'm still trying to help her to this day to understand what's going on. And especially, you know, with all the civil unrest that happened early on, you know, when we were home for COVID, that was constantly on the television at all times. So it was very, very difficult, but we we worked it through. I would say Greensboro is definitely getting back to where it should be, but I'm, I must say I'm very nervous about the next couple of days um, after the election. So I'm sure we may talk about that a little bit, but Madison and I had a conversation this morning and she asked, is the same thing going to happen, mommy, that happened this summer? I didn't know how to answer her. So that's kind of where I am just to answer that. Uh, quickly, for me, it was it was twofold. As I saw things, you know, coming to a head, there was a sense of concern, naturally, because anytime, you know, people with opposing views want to demonstrate, you know, their positions, you know, things can happen to compromise safety. And so I definitely was hopeful that we would not have a lot of stories about, you know, people being caused harm in the process. And I was thankful, on the other hand, that at a moment where there was concern about the treatment of marginalized populations, that our community rose to the occasion because that, again, as David pointed out, this is an activist town. It is considered an activist and 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 uh, human rights hub um, known for such around the world because of our reputation with the sit-in movement. And so I expected that there would be, you know, certain reactions from a personal space. Um, I was definitely glad to talk with my family very openly. I'm a bonus mom of uh, three kids and my youngest is 15. And so the conversations were very compelling. They were very thoughtful, Um, but they were altogether hopeful because that is how I look at moments like these. And then finally, from a professional space, it was mostly about understanding that my work would rev up. Because as the human rights leader in the city, um, it is my responsibility to maintain a pulse. And so I wanted to be aware 
of what was happening from multiple perspectives, not just one, so that I could help in any way, shape and form possible. I definitely think that for all of us, what happened is that we got to have conversations that we normally wouldn't have at at work or with our, you know, with our coworkers that we just hadn't done before. So as key leaders, um, you all have these key leadership roles with city government. Certainly city government is huge. The issues that you grapple with are many. How do you kind of, what were the, what were the first steps, I should say, in getting started in kind of addressing these things? You guys have come up with lots of, lots of things to address all kinds of issues within the city as it relates to race and equity? What were some of the first initiatives that you rolled out? I know internally for us, uh, the first thing that we actually did, which I was very, very proud of, was to actually have our um, moment of silence. And we went downtown, we all walked around City Hall in solidarity, and uh, we held a Blackout Tuesday um, event for the city of Greensboro. And we had, I would say, a couple of hundred employees that actually participated that day. I think we had over um, 300, right? 300, yes. At least over 300 that particular Mm -hmm. event. It was so impactful and David and Love and I all spoke and we came up with a proclamation and then the work was not done there, especially internally it wasn't done. We actually started um, having conversations uh, that we facilitated and we're so thankful to have such an awesome leader in David Parrish that he actually you know, took the time to say, we're going to take time out of the day four Thursdays in a row to actually have conversations and put people's feelings on the table. There were cries, there was a lot of hurt, there was confusion, but we took the time to talk it out. And then we went um, a step further and we have employee resource groups at the city. And for the next two months after that, we broke them off and splintered them in to the employee resource groups so we could get a different flair from our LGBTQ plus employees, our Hispanic employees, and so forth. So it's just kind constantly been conversations and also making sure we go into the department to actually have those conversations as needed as well, too. So we're in the process of building equity teams around that. So we're very, very excited. So it's been a lot of work, but it's also been a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. It hurts seeing grown men cry and grown women cry. And we saw plenty of that during this period. Absolutely. I think um, one of the things that we, I think we all kind of realized just in this pandemic in general is the the relationship between race and income disparity. And I know that a number of things that you all have come up with address those things. um, Can one of you talk to me about Thrive, GSO, and the cool things that you're doing with the library to kind of address those issues? Well, I can speak to uh, Thrive GSO. Thrive GSO was birthed out of the Human Rights Department, and the goal is to address the challenges or barriers that reentry populations or just deserved populations experience when they are trying to navigate what it means to have a fully successful life, whether that's post-incarceration or simply just having acquired some infractions on one's record. And so we take a four-pronged approach looking at education, housing, employment, and voting rights. And so what we tried to do more of during this time is make sure that people knew how to access the resources necessary to continue having their records reviewed, to continue finding places for you know, their families to live where they could qualify and get past barriers like you know, checking the box. Um, in order to access housing. So 
um, we tried to do the due diligence of partnering with grassroots entities that definitely foster programs around these topics and make sure that people have access to what they need. And so for us, we're an information hub. We don't provide the service, but we definitely build the bridge to get people to the service for those who are a part of justice served populations. And um, that was just one of, you know, our many efforts to try to make sure that the community knew that we were on deck and very aware of the fact that in times of unrest, people still have needs that need to be met. Yeah, and a very important one that it has so much to do. Um, people who are who have been justice served have, you know, such barriers to finding and keeping employment. So it's a very that's a very important thing to um, to roll out. David, can you talk with me about what the um, Greensboro Public Library has done? Yeah, I think it's um, something that we did back in July and went in effect August first, which. I think this actually captures what I want all of our departments to be able to do is to think creatively about what you would not necessarily think of as a traditional barrier for access, which is the library decided to eliminate fines for overdue books and for materials. And then additionally, that sounds simple. If you accumulated too many fines, it prevented you from access, then it prevented you from access as, as well to computers. And so a resource that many in our community needed. And so it was a, an opportunity to remove what you wouldn't have typically thought of it. You know, if we had surveyed the community five years ago, I don't think library fines would have jumped up as a, a, a potential discriminatory or a, a racial practice but it did have a, an overwhelming kind of bias towards people of color and lower income individuals. And so when we realized that, I applaud our library leadership staff led by Bridget and the board kind of taking that lead and saying, you know what, what really does the, does the fines really mean for us as an organization? And so it's a, a kind of an easy answer then at that point to say, well, let's get rid of it. Let's remove a, a barrier for access and opportunity. And so it's it sounds simple, and I'm sure some people saw the news bulletin and wondered why we would even do that. But that's what I want all of our departments, and we're continuing to push to say, look, think through every aspect of your operation, your procedures. Is there something that you know we should modify that may have an unintentional or un, un, you're unaware even of what a bias may be? So. That's what the library did, and I, I think it's a great example of what not just the city of Greensboro, but I think every public institution should be doing. I agree, and I, I do think um, one of the reason why I like that um, so much for so many reasons, really, but it's one of those things that's simple, that we, many of us are thinking about boiling the ocean when we think about racial equity, but that is simple. That's something that we, you know, many of us can be empowered to make those kinds of changes um, within our organization. So, I, yeah, I think that's that's very significant. I thought you were going to say it's because you had a over one, uh, pretty <laughs> high overdue balance that you were very thrilled that we were getting doing away with it. But I may have had a problem in the past, David. All right, all right. <laughs> now, on the opposite end, that's certainly a, a, a simple, straightforward solution. But one of the things that it kind of thrust all of us into these dialogues is really the issue of police reform. And I know that that's a, not quite as simple. That's not um, as straightforward as solution. So I would love to talk about um, some of the 
the changes that um, have happened in the Greensboro Police Department in the last several months. Our new police chief, what a year to be named as police chief, Brian James, really started kind of implementing some things pretty quickly into his, his tenure. He was announced the end of January, took the seat in the January, and he had started doing some community meetings at that point to try to take community input. He made some changes pretty quickly around use of force as it relates to vehicles and shooting at vehicles in response to the George Floyd murder and the and the responses from that. He, police department and council as well, wanted to see some additional changes as it relates to use of force warnings. Also around another simple thing, I, I've said this before, this is not exactly the traditional commentary around police issues, but even putting out photos of individuals who've been arrested in news releases doesn't really catch a lot of attention, but it perpetuates the visual representation of who criminals may or may not be. And that's before they've ever gone before a judge or sat before a, a jury of their peers. We're already putting out visual representations of who's guilty. And so they, they discontinue doing that. So there's been simple things like the library all the way up to use of force changes that they've implemented. And I'm very pleased that Brian continues to push and have conversations around what can be done and what needs to be changed. So, and so does this community. They keep, yeah. you know, our community won't let us have a pass either. And I think that's a good thing. It speaks to the earlier commentary about this is a community of change that seeks real change and substantive changes to as well. Thank you, David. I think the changes that you mentioned in the police department are needful. I know that there's a need for ongoing dialogue as well, and, and maybe even more opportunity um, to for those things to evolve. I'd love to hear more about kind of the broader things that you're doing in the community. Dr. Jones, can you talk with us a bit about Race GSO and some of the initiatives associated with that? Absolutely. Um, again, as Maria already alluded, you know, a, a, a municipality can only do as much as the leadership supports. And very, very thankful that at the moment that things began to get really, really complicated and a, a lot of evidence of unrest began to unfold, not only David, but the entire team of city managers pulled together to say, what can we do to encapsulate, you know, our efforts to make sure that there's a real stamp from us to the community that we're working and that we're not going to stop working. And so Race GSO was birthed from uh, the city management team and a few um, members of leadership across the city and departments. And the acronym stands for recognizing and considering the experiences of others. And, you know, that's really what some of those things that Maria spoke about. And, you know, as far as the Blackout Tuesday and some of the um, group discussions that took place in the subsequent months, all of that was attached to that goal. But the other thing that's come out of our organization is that we are to be people centered. That is a big part of our mantra that came with the introduction of David's leadership. And by way of being people-centered, it was concluded that we have to make sure that those who work internally, the staff, um, have you know, an awareness of being valued and, and that their needs are considered so that the outward 
demonstration of customer service will be solid, especially in times like these where racial tensions are high, whether that is the police department or water resources. And so um, out of Blackout Tuesday, we heard people in leadership say, I just want to be able to support my department as these conversations continue to unfold. I want to make sure that it does not turn into chaos. I want to make sure that it is healthy. And so um, the Human Rights Department, in collaboration with several departments across the organization, started a, an initiative um, under a race GSO called Meaningful Leadership Dialogues, supporting and facilitating conversations about race in the workplace. And it was basically to just give leadership at multiple levels tools from a grab bag to be able to have healthy conversations about work, healthy conversations about race and where those two things intersect. And, you know, we were really grateful that city leadership created Race GSO for us to have a nice package to put that into. Um, we also recognize that, you know, in addition to efforts like Thrive, it was important for us to make our resources accessible. Maria and I both do um, internal and external work. Maria's primarily internal, but definitely supports external initiatives. I'm primarily external, but support internal. And we wanted to make sure there was clarification about who to come to for what. And so we were able to revisit an ask that had been on the table a few years ago from our department to change our name even. And so that allowed us to, um, under the guise of Race GSO, be able to change from the Human Relations Department to the Human Rights Department. People in the community who need resources from human rights entities understand the term human rights, but they're not as familiar with the term human relations. And I learned that in the seven years that I've been doing this work. So, you know, those are just two examples of how small change can create big impact when you need to know as a community that your municipality is behind you and that they're making sure that when you come to the city, you're going to have a good experience. If you work for the city, you're going to have a good experience. And if you need to know who to find, it's going to be accessible. All of those things were a large part of race GSO efforts just to make sure that we let the city know we were listening. It says a lot. It really does. Um, I probably wouldn't have thought about that until you said that. I wouldn't necessarily automatically know what human relations um, means. But when you say human rights, you know, people can relate to that. So that in, in and of itself makes the statement to your staff and to, to residents of um, Greensboro. The last critical part is being heard. So under the guise of race GSO with a very attentive city council, as well as an attentive city manager's office, the community reached out to us and said, hey, there's some things we need to look at closer. You know, we need to look at issues of disparity and specifically for the largest minority population in the community. So out of that, the ad hoc committee for African-American disparity was created. Human rights is the department that's going to support it, but it is a city supported ad hoc committee that is really going to delve deeper into some of the barriers to really being able to live and flourish in this community for African-Americans. And what I can appreciate most is that it was driven by community requests. It wasn't something that we created, but it is something that we responded to when the community came up with a solution. And so when you're talking about what's next, you know, this, this is just one example. This committee is just one example of how to continue exploring those things on a deeper level and further showing our commitment as an organization to hear the needs of the city and respond. Absolutely. And Nikita, 
it, it was one other thing that I wanted to add to go along with what uh, Dr. Love said. We also are about to embark upon, uh, we've been actually members, I wanted to make sure everyone knew that, for, since 2019, before any of this started, we joined the Government Alliance on Race and Equity with several other municipalities across North Carolina, Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill. Um, there are several of us, I think probably about 10 or 12 of us, that met for a year in a cohort. And we actually are winding down on that work. While with that work comes after the layer of what Dr. Love was talking about with the leadership training, we also will be rolling out cultural competency training, microaggression training, and also advancing racial equity training that is a part of this government alliance on race and equity. So we are very, very excited about that. And to piggyback with what David was talking about, part of our work was to basically um, go with all the departments and ask them what projects are on the cusp that need to be looked at as far as race and equity are concerned. So we have a list of about 45, 46 that we are working with the departments across the city, most of the departments, and we're actually building racial equity plans with them. So again, like I said, it's a lot of good work going on, as Dr. Love said, internally and externally from training to programs. So I just wanted to make sure I got that in as well. That's a great. I'm glad you shared that. That's great to hear too. Um, training is so important. I think that's what we um, we realize as well as how much we don't know about these issues, how much we don't know about each other, um, but also how much we don't know about what race and equity means. So I, I think that that's um, that's fantastic that the city is doing so much from simple things like removing fines to making significant reform in, in how we are policed. Um, those things are exceptional. I'd love to hear, um, David, maybe can you talk about how these things, how some of your initiatives have been received by your staff uh, as well as um, residents of the city thus far? be honest, I think it's a little mixed <laughs> at times. <laughs> uh, but I think that speaks to the fact that, um, you know, and let me be clear, let me back up a little bit. These are not just conversations. These are not just discussions. Mm -hmm. and I think sometimes I've, I've heard maybe once or twice in the last few months, well, all we're doing is just talking. We have to talk first. And we had to talk, I think, as Love and Maria mentioned, early June, we pulled together quick employee meetings because we felt like they needed to have an opportunity to have a voice. And having conversations was the foundational element from that we are now building and have been building changes and we will continue to so when you make changes and when you move things sometimes people get uncomfortable and i am struck by a comment even with that word is that someone shared in a, a virtual meeting i've been uncomfortable for years and that struck me uh, or maybe it was we have been uncomfortable for years. And I don't think I will ever forget that particular conversation because through that, I think, came some education. And um, so there's been some some pushback. But I will say, I think the vast majority internally, we are moving in the right direction. And I'm pleased by that response. And I'm pleased by as Marie even mentioned, the employee resource groups that we're doing to expand our opportunities for, for all people to have a, a more welcoming environment. You know, I, I think some of that was shared in conference. <laughs> I was getting ready to share an example of a story from one of those ERGs, but those were shared in a, in a safe space, so I won't. But it's been a learning opportunity for me as the city manager 
and more from the internal organization. How do we propel our organization towards continuous improvement and making it a better place for our employees? And I will say to let me briefly mention as well, I think that some of the changes that need to be made can be better initiated or sustained even by having the right people in place. And that's not at all a commentary about anyone. I'm just, I say that to mean human resources. The resource of our employees, we have been this summer and Maria and Love have led some of that, again, through dialogue, through trainings, but I commend our human resources department for looking at their procedures and policies and saying, okay, how do we recruit? How do we screen individuals? How do we promote individuals? So putting the right people in the right places is very key for us. And that's something that will be a longer term effort. This is not a quick fix in many respects, but human resources, our human resource leadership with Jemiah Waterman has really, I think he's more than willing and has been pushing for some real policy and procedure changes again, really on how we employ, who we employ, and then how we promote once once we have them in the organization. We've made some changes, and I would encourage, I know your audience members are mostly non-governmental, the private sector. I think we, as a public agency, quite frankly, have done an excellent job of really making some some good positive changes that many in the private sector have more flexibility than we even do and I would encourage them to reach out maybe to some of our HR reps and just have a conversation and say, what could we do? What are y'all doing? And what could we do to kind of open up opportunities for individuals and remove barriers to? So. You make an excellent point. Having um, worked in local government in the past, you know, it isn't always as nimble um, as um, private industry gets to be. So I, I think you make a great point there. This is significant, a significant amount of change in a short amount of time for such a massive organization like yours. That's a, that's a really big deal for sure. Well, much like the library thing, a lot of things within personnel, you don't think of as a traditional barrier. But why do we have to screen people out the way we do sometimes? Mm-hmm. You know, it, why do you want to ask how much money somebody made at a prior job? Yeah. You know, does it matter? You know, as long as someone has the, the competency, perhaps, or the skills beyond that, you know, speaking even to the Thrive that Dr. Jones spoke about, give people a chance. You know, mm-hmm. offer opportunities for people. We have the ability to change. So I think there's a lot of positive things that we have done as a public agency that I'm very proud of. Nikita, just to kind of piggyback off of that as well, too, I think time is flying. I think it was two weeks ago, um, as a part of some of the work that we're doing with GARE, we actually had a community outreach call with several um, partners and uh, internal and both external. And we talked about our two projects um, that we're kind of focusing on for our end of the cohort project, kind of like our thesis, for lack of a better term. And so, uh, you know, one of them dealt with one of our HR policies, and we invited people from the criminal justice people um, population, people from um, the HR community. And it was so refreshing to be on that call with other people within Greensboro saying, wow, we are so impressed with the work that Greensboro is doing. We want to hear more about this. And one group even said, we're thinking about doing this and taking this back to our leadership to see if we can make those changes as well. To David's point, it just is so refreshing to definitely, you know, sometimes be ahead of the curve and be proactive instead of reactive as far as this work is concerned. 
that it's also it's really important that you all are um, taking the time to have this conversation too to share it because because um, it can be that dialogue is often the spark for change. So I appreciate you all you know being willing to share what you're doing to encourage other people to do the same because change is certainly a process. So how can people learn more about all the things that um, that are going on? How can they find out more about all of the all of these initiatives? Well, first and foremost, the thing that I think both Maria and David would agree with on the call is that this is a um, opportunity for active participation. It's not just learning what, but it's then being a part of the how. Um, and so for us with human rights, we have active social media pages on uh, Facebook for not only the department, but also the commissions that are made up of community volunteers who do the work. So there are three bodies out of our department that people can participate in and learn from and also educate because those bodies serve as liaisons. They listen to the needs of the community. They share that with our city council. And so that includes the Human Rights Commission, the Commission on the Status of Women, which has a human rights focus, but of course targeted towards the needs of women specifically. And then there is the opportunity to participate in the International Advisory Committee, which is a subset of the Human Rights Committee um, Commission, but it stands alone so that a team of five executive members can lead the charge to learn what the needs are and what the barriers are for international populations. So there's a lot of opportunity in our department for active participation from the community. And that doesn't just mean serving as a commissioner. You can come to any of these meetings on virtual platforms for now during the pandemic and in person um, as we move away from the pandemic, whenever that happens. But you can come and be an active participant without being appointed where you can share your concerns. And so for us, um, that's one of our main vehicles. But you can also simply contact the department about things that you need to know and learn. And that includes, you know, just dialing our number 373-2038, area code 336. So um, definitely ways for the community to, to be a part of the solution and not feel like they can only spectate. And very similar, we too uh, have, uh, we did, we're not quite at social media. We're going to get there one day. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. Growing the department, though, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. But um, we do have a very, very active uh, webpage on the city's website. And you can definitely, I tell people, just Google the Office of Equity and Inclusion for the city of Greensboro, and it will take you there. It lists everything from our heritage calendar to the thoughts of our fearless leader, Mr. Parrish, um, as far as equity and and everything. Um, it also has um, some of our past videos and things that we have on there because one of our gems that we have at the city of Greensboro is our uh, GTN, our Greensboro Television Network. I just left somewhere and somebody said, Maria, I haven't seen you in forever, but I do remember that episode you did with that snake on your arm. And I don't remember how you did that. I was like, how do you remember this? That was like five years ago, but it tickled me. But people watch our cable channel, which I'm so thrilled about. So we actually have a show that we produce uh, monthly called One Greensboro, and it is centered around our heritage calendar, and we talk to community people, um, we talk to internal employees, our employees, and we call them the one, and we focus on race and equity on a monthly basis. So that's out there, and it's also on YouTube as well. So a lot of different things to try to get the word out about the good work that we try to do. I would say just in general, 
not specific to the topic today, but the city has a great communication outreach. So you can go to our website, social media sites. They do an outstanding job. Uh, but you can also go even to the website, sign up for e-notifies. You know, you can get electronic notifications of any publication, press releases that go out. You can sign up for any specific topic that may be of interest to you. But social media is great. Website would be a good resource too. Just go and sign up if you want to get notified every time something's happening. And it looks like you all have a webpage devoted to Race GSL. So we'll make sure to put that in the description of the podcast, as well as the webpage for the Office of Equity and Inclusion. I want to applaud all of you for being willing to be a part of this change that we very much need in Greensboro, um, for stepping out there and being leaders in the community and doing that. I also thank you so much for uh, for your time today, for having this conversation. I had the privilege of talking to each of you or hearing you speak in different capacities, and I always take something away. So thank you so much for um, for spending time with us today. And to our audience, thank you so much for listening. Thank you. Thank you for having us. This podcast is brought to you by Truliant Federal Credit Union a modern, mission-driven financial institution focused on the needs of its members, the businesses it serves, and our community. With five locations in Guilford County, including a dedicated commercial lending office at Friendly Center and a highly rated mobile banking app, Truliant makes it their business to help you grow yours. Visit truliant.org for more information. You can find all of our episodes on YouTube thanks to our video sponsor, North State. Impact the Borough is recorded at Press Play Studios Producers are Brody Cohen-Glaze and Holly West. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at GSO Chamber. See you next time.